God, thank you. Thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you for being and doing what we could not do so that we could live eternally, Lord, with you in your presence. God, I pray tonight that our hearts should be softened, that we would have ears to listen and eyes to see what you are doing here tonight. I pray that you speak through Kenneth, Lord, and I pray that you be glorified tonight in all that is done and all that is spoken, Lord. Continue to bless this night and allow us to have a great, great service. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Yup, it is Wednesday night. It is Wednesday night. It's Wednesday, my dudes. That meme is pretty old, but if you know what I'm talking about, you know what's up. All right, I want you all to head to your seats and go high-five somebody and say, ah! Bridge Youth, how you guys doing tonight? Woo, so glad you guys all came to join us for Bridge Youth tonight. If I have never had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Kenneth Macau, and I am uh, one of the people that has the privilege and the honor to be able to serve you guys here in Bridge Youth as one of your guys' middle school leaders. I've actually been serving here since I myself was a student. I was 15 years old, and I became one of the middle school leaders here. So I was the like, same age as some of you guys in the audience, maybe even younger. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely amazing being able to serve the students at Temecula Valley here at Bridges. And I get to serve uh, alongside some amazing other leaders who are with you guys, and uh, alongside also two really great pastors, Corey and Amber White. Can we give a quick uh, hand clap for Corey and Amber? Yes, Corey's amazing, but he is not here today. And so I am going to be replacing him. God, I hope uh, I don't say anything blasphemous or anything like that. And, uh, but yeah, I absolutely love it. It was also in this youth ministry where I was able to be like raised pretty much. Um, not only through this church, but through this youth ministry, I was able to be fostered in this like calling into youth ministry. That's all my life. And I've been in an uninterrupted pursuit of that calling ever since like, like 19-ish years old. And it's been the absolute like greatest journey. Met the coolest people growing up here in middle school and high school. My absolute like friends, me and my brother Kevin found like our closest like brothers for life here. And we were able to, like, grow up here together. God was just able to orchestrate some great relationships. And we were able to have all these cool experiences growing up and stuff like that. And glory to God to this day, we're all still uh, serving God wherever we are. Some of us are still leaders here and um, all pursuing the calling that is that God has on every single one of our lives. And so if it's your first time here or if you've been coming to Bridge Youth recently, I want to encourage you to just keep coming consistently because Bridge Youth is absolutely amazing. And it's a great place with a lot of great people who will help foster you and just grow you in whatever it is that God is calling you to do in your life. Absolutely amazing place to grow up. And we are going to be continuing our Sermon on the Mount series for week three with a message today called Delayed Gratification. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down at the top. Delayed Gratification is the name of today's message. And Cora does this every week. I think it's a good idea. We can all stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. So everybody go ahead and stand up real fast.
And today we are going to be reading from Matthew 6, just three verses, verses 19 through 21. And what it says is, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy it, and where thieves break in and steal it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to read verse 19 one more time. Uh, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. All right, let's bow our head real quick and close our eyes and pray. Father God, I want to thank you for an amazing Wednesday night tonight at Bridge Youth. I want to thank you that you're just going to impact our lives. Speak to us in a way that only you can. I want to thank you that you and you exclusively are going to be glorified uh, in tonight's service and in tonight's message. I want to pray that you just touch every life here and allow us to be able to uh, receive something from your word and have your way and do what only you can do in this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first point uh, for today's message is where is your investment? So delayed gratification. How many of you guys have younger siblings in this room? How many of you guys have younger siblings that are in this room, like literally right now? Dang, okay. Don't necessarily give them like the death stare or anything like that. The, uh, the interesting thing, like think, if you have like younger siblings that are like literally like four years old or younger, think about them real fast. And I don't know if you guys have the same experience that I do with kids. I uh, get to be in Bridge Kids every Sunday and I see these little four-year-olds, right? And I know for a fact that if they ask for something, this is like five years old and younger, if they don't get what they ask for right away, odds are that you have a tantrum on your hands. And you probably are going to watch them scream for their parents for the next, like, 30 minutes of service and stuff like that. And I feel like the, the ability to, like, delay gratification is probably, like, the, like, number one noticeable trait that separates, like, a little child from the, us in this room and people who are growing up to be mature adults. The ability to delay present satisfaction for a greater satisfaction later. Because the interesting thing is, like, when a kid asks for a piece of candy, you can't tell them, like, oh, you can have candy later. A kid is not going to be able to, like, rationalize that. They just want candy now. And so, like, the, the ability to, like, have the hindsight to realize that there's greater satisfaction later and to prepare accordingly rather than just gratify every immediate craving that presents itself, I feel like it's, like, one of, like, the number one traits that can separate, like, a little child from, like, us people who are growing up to be, like, mature adults. I can remember, like, realizing this independently as a kid and feeling like I was so smart for coming to, like, this understanding. Me and my brother Kevin, we used to go to Carl's Jr. sometimes as kids, and we'd get, like, a kid's meal, and we'd go play in the playground while, like, waiting for, like, the kid's meal to come out. And I have a very unhealthy addiction to French fries. And like my my first uh, my first uh, yes, amen, brother. And uh, my uh, my uh, my first job that I got in high school, me and my friend, all we would do is just spend our money on carne asada fries. I, at that time, uh, Kai Dunn and like a few other students like introduced me like the Hensons as well to like different carne asada places, and we became like connoisseurs and we would like rank them and like memorize the prices and all this different stuff. And uh, so at that age, at like five years old, the addiction was like starting, you know. I asked my mom why like I like love fries so much. She said she ate a lot when she was pregnant with me. I don't know if that's like correct science. Um, I took AP Bio, but I don't know. I already forgot everything that I learned in that class. So the um, I'm like I remember getting my fries all the time at that age, and as soon as the tray was in front of me, just turning the cup of fries upside down and eating like every single fry because it was literally like an addiction. Like my leg is like literally starting to like twitch right now talking about it, you know, <laughs> and I'm having like withdrawal symptoms. But the so uh, I remember like one day like looking at the tray in front of me and just thinking to myself independently and on my own, if I don't eat the fries right now, but even though they're in front of me, I wait to eat them later the, like, satisfaction of when I eat them after having my burger and drink 
it's just going to be like a greater satisfaction if like I could just like wait and like be patient enough. And like sure enough, I like tried it, and glory to God, to this day I eat the fries at the end of all of my meals. Amen. <laughs> but I remember like coming to like the revelation of like delayed gratification, and I feel like this is how God calls us to live in the kingdom. And um, there's this scripture, or actually really this story in Genesis 25 about these two brothers named Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was the younger brother, and Esau was the older brother. And Esau was a little bit more like, you know, like burly and like rustic. And so in this story, Esau spent the whole day like working in like the fields and shepherding and doing all this like Old Testament timey stuff. And Jacob spent the whole day like cooking a meal. And Esau comes in after like working the whole day. And the um, hunger that he has almost like warps his decision making. And he tells Jacob, like, I need to, like, have some of this meal. And so since Esau was the firstborn, it means that he was going to inherit the birthright that his father would give him since he was the firstborn son of the family. And so Jacob sees this as an opportunity to, like, manipulate Esau. And he's like, you can, oh, you can uh, have some of the meal if you give me my birthright. And Esau, like I said, like, he couldn't, like, uh, decide rationally because, like, the, the hunger was, like, so great. And he was like, what good is my birthright to me? I'm going to die. I need some of, like, the meal. So he ends up giving Jacob his birthright. And he, um, he has, like, no grasp of his, like, long-purpose value or his destiny or his calling. And he's willing to trade something that's eternal for something that's temporary and something that's eventually going to rot and decay, like uh, what the verse says in verse 19. And he makes this terrible choice to satisfy what his appetite now demands. And he, uh, because, like, the, he feels like the hunger is so great, he... Uh, trades his eternal purpose for something that's temporary. And I feel like it's so easy for us to be tricked by a devil who's so good at lying. And I feel like he's, like, mastered the art of lying. And have you ever seen, like, cartoons where, like, you have, like, yourself on your shoulder, but it's, like, a little Satan costume? And, like, on your other shoulder, shoulder, it's, like, you and, like, a gown and a harp? And, like, both of them are, like, telling the character, like, what to do and what not to do. And they're trying to, like, oh, like, sin. And the other one's, like, no, don't sin. And he's trying to serenade you on a harp and stuff like that. I feel like, I don't know, uh, Satan is kind of, like, mastered, like, devaluing the things that are important and eternal and making things uh, that are unimportant and that are temporary so valuable in our minds. And he, uh, the, how flattering and how enticing something can seem even though it's like vapor uh, and disappears and it's eaten by moths and it's stolen by thieves, we can be tricked into thinking that it's so valuable and we'll trade something that is actually valuable in exchange for something that promises to be fulfilling, but it's not really fulfilling. And the enemy is so good at devaluing the things that God says that we need to prioritize in our life. And there's things with eternal purpose, uh, things like serving humbly and loving people that uh, we can... uh, think are so unimportant, and then the devil stresses the importance of things that we are convinced are going to fulfill us, but they only fill us. The crazy thing about this story with Esau is, I promise you, I promise you, just knowing how the body works, four, five, maybe six hours later, tops, he was hungry again. And he could have been so convinced that this was going to fulfill him, but it only filled him. And a few hours later, I promise you, he was hungry again. Like, try to think of, like, the best meal that, like, you've ever had. Or, like, I don't know, are there any, like, sushi fans amongst us today? <laughs> Woo! Yeah, let's clap for sushi. <laughs> All right, how about, like, wings? Is anybody, like, a wings? Yeah. Dude, I love the testosterone. And the Yeah, wings! That was sick. All right, how about salad? 
<laughs> yeah, woo. Shout out to all the vegans in the audience. Yeah. So, like, like, try to think of, like, the best meal that, like, you've ever had, ever. When I try to think of the best meal I've ever had, I was in San Diego with my family, and we went to this Korean restaurant, and I had this skillet-fried octopus. Yo, it was f- so good, dude. Yes, I saw the little finger wag from my boy in the front, Shaheed. Yes, seafood is amazing. The, dude, this octopus, I'll never forget how good it tastes, man. It, it, it was like, oh, except for my mom's cooking. My mom's cooking is better. Yeah, shout out to my mom. Yes. So uh, uh, it, it's so like it's like so memorable, like how uh, good that meal is. But like when I think back on like that meal, a couple hours later, I was hungry again. And there's things that the devil can sell us as like something that's going to actually fulfill us, but it only fills us for a, a few moments. And we find ourselves going back to these things that decay to fill us when the things that decay can never fill us, and it's only the things that don't decay and that moths and vermin cannot destroy and that thieves will not break and seal, like verse 20 says, that will actually fulfill us. And it's so easy for us to trade uh, the fulfilling things for the things that we've been lied to or convinced are going to actually fulfill us, but only fill us for a moment. And a few hours later, we find ourselves returning back to those things. And the hindsight to be able to delay gratification is so hard to break away from how tempting and enticing something can seem and how flattering it can seem and how it's going to, like, fill your hungry stomach and all this different stuff. But um, uh, the crazy thing is that, like, moss will eventually decay and environment will destroy it and thieves will break in and steal it and it only lasts for a few moments. And I feel like those lies are so easy to believe and people in this room, like, we can believe that, like, um, like the boyfriend or girlfriend in our life who's, like, trying to pressure us to do something that's we know it's contrary to what the Bible says, it can seem so enticing. But if we can just have the hindsight to delay gratification, I promise you, I promise you that there's something better that God has for you. If you can just have the hindsight to wait, exercise patience and self-control. And I feel like self-control is a really underrated fruit of the Spirit, but it's so important. And the hindsight to be able to delay gratification. And you can be uh, convinced and tempted into thinking that this relationship is beneficial for you right now and it's fulfilling, but the fact of the matter is it's only filling. And, uh, like, like if, or, like, the person in, like, this relationship was, like, trying to, like, pressure you to do something that you know you shouldn't do, if you can delay the gratification, I promise you that something, there's something better that God has for you. Or, like, if you're, like, I don't know, like, that 7th, 8th, ninth, or 10th grader who's going to go to summer camp next week and spend the whole week chopping it up, convince that you're going to find your Christian wife in those next four days. I, I wish the best to you, but if, if, you, could, if you could have, like, the... The, the patience and the hindsight to realize that there's something actually beneficial for you and your life eternally that God could have for you at camp. I know it's a really funny subject matter to bring up. I could remember camp, like, I don't know, me, Isaiah, and Marco, and Andrew, and them. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm so, I don't know, I'm so, I'm so glad that uh, God gave us the hindsight to spend camp actually trying to encounter and receive everything that it is that God wants to tell us rather than wasting the time. Um, and... I promise you, I promise you, if you can have the hindsight and the patience um, exercise, uh, there's greater satisfaction on the other side of just being patient and listening to God and obeying the Holy Spirit and obeying that conviction when it comes upon you. How many of you guys are going to camp next week? Yes, camp is going to be amazing. Camp is going to be absolutely amazing. I can't wait to see you all there. 
And uh, so where is your investment? Then the last verse is the last part that I wanted to touch on in regards to this part of uh, scripture. Uh, let's go back to verse 21 and just reread it real quick. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, how many of you guys have ever like spent time paying attention to like investments and like cryptocurrency and all that different stuff? Good on you. You guys are pretty young. There's somebody actually in this youth group. I'm not going to say him by name, but he's like 14 or like 13. Or actually, I think he's in, going into eighth grade. And he already is like invested in like four different companies through like a joint like account with like his dad and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, good on you, man. The um, investing is like such an interesting thing. Me and like some of my friends have some like investments in like small companies, stuff like that. That's a you know, give away the money moves we're making or anything like that, you know, grind in silence or whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, focusing on this verse, like in regards to like investing in different things, the moment that you invest in a company, you suddenly find yourself over-concerned for that company's well-being and you want to see that company succeed. And I think investment precedes the heart. And so... Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think if you invest yourself in the kingdom, you'll find yourself over-concerned with the status of the kingdom. And instead of investing your time, your energy, your money, your thoughts, your, uh, your uh, servant's heart into things that vermin will destroy and moths will eat and thieves will break in and steal, I think we should invest ourselves into things that are eternal. And when you find yourself investing into those things, you find yourself over-concerned with the status of those things. Um, it's, it's uh, the idea of serving within church is definitely something that I've tried to instill in uh, the students that I volunteer with. The students I volunteer with are amazing. You know, I call them like the little brothers that I can't hear back, you know. They're, they're dope. They're really, they're really, really awesome. As, as, <laughs> and um, I always try to like instill in them, I guess, the importance of serving because I think that your investment will, or your heart will follow wherever your investment is. And it's so, like, amazing to find yourself invested in the kingdom and to be over-concerned with the status of the kingdom. And to uh, see, like, even if it's, like, something, like, very minor, if you want to say that, like, or very, like, small that you, like, you do, like, straightening the chairs. Like, if you see, like, a student sit in that chair that you straightened, raise their, like, hand during the altar call, you're going to, like, like, want to thank the God who's using you to glorify himself in some unique way. And I don't know. There's so many other things that we can be tricked into thinking are valuable, but I think we should invest in things that are eternal, things that won't be destroyed by moths, but things that will, will last. And so if I can, from this first point, allow you guys to take anything away, um, invest yourself uh, in the kingdom. Invest yourself in the kingdom, and in no time at all, find yourself over-concerned with the status of the kingdom and wanting to see its success uh, with whatever time or whatever energy, if you can pour your heart into serving in some arena. I know that there's some people in this church, actually, who... Um, call other churches your home churches and uh, go there on Sundays and you come here on Wednesdays and stuff like that. And we're so happy you guys do that. And I want to encourage you at your church, whatever church it is that you're planted in and whatever church it is you're being fed at, you should ask your pastor or your youth pastor if there's any way that you can serve or help out on like Sundays or anything like that. Or if there's anything that you can do to just aid with the way that services run. And not only will you see God like use you in some sovereign and beautiful way, but you'll see yourself start to like become over-concerned with the status of, of the kingdom. And I want to see God glorified through what it is that he's using you to do. Amen? All right, guys. We're going to go on to the next point. Point two, which is being close to Jesus in proximity 
does not always equate closeness at heart. And I wanted to do a character study of a person in the Bible who was very worked up on amongst the three verses that we read, verses 19, 20, and 21. He was very worked up on verse 19, which is accumulating um, as much things that he could that decay and um, wanting to establish his, his glory in a place where, where it wouldn't last rather than a place where it was eternal. And that person that we're going to do a character study on is a man named Judas. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. So Jesus basically had 12 guys who were following him around it when he was doing his early ministry, or doing his whole ministry, really, and even after he, like, resurrected and stuff. And those 12 disciples, like, saw Jesus do all this amazing stuff and were following him through his whole ministry journey and saw him crucified and all this different stuff. And one of those people was somebody named Judas. And Judas is known as the betrayer of Jesus, because Jesus, when he's crucified, he's handed over to the Romans because he's betrayed by somebody named Judas. And just before we get into that part, I want to point to something that gives a lot of like, efficacy and points to the truth of the Bible that we read. Because a lot of Jesus' life was prophesied in detail before he was ever on this earth. And I feel like that's one of the most assuring things in regards to like, the truth of the Bible. Because you look at the life of Jesus... And in the Old Testament, hundreds and even up to like a millennia, like a thousand years before Jesus was ever born, um, different people separated by hundreds of years even between themselves and thousands of miles all talked about this Messiah that God would introduce, the Messiah that would reconcile sinful humanity back to God. And they talked about um, the life he would live, where he would be born, the things he would do. Um, his death, how he would die, his resurrection, and all these different things. And Jesus fulfilled every single thing that was said about him hundreds of years before he was born by people who were completely separated. He fulfilled everything perfectly. And I feel like it's like one of the most assuring things in regards to like the truth and the efficacy of the Bible. There's this preacher named Robert Morris who talked about, uh, he gave like an illustration in regards to like how crazy it is that Jesus was who he was when he did the things that he did. And he said, like, imagine like covering the entire state of Texas in quarters. Like try to even like imagine like all of Temecula covered in quarters and then the whole state of Texas and paint one of those quarters red and stack all the quarters a foot and a half high the odds of you walking, wandering around Texas aimlessly for however long you want to do it, and um, eventually reaching down and picking up the red quarter are the same odds of Jesus doing everything that he did when he did them. And we like serve this God who uh, came down and exalted himself through suffering and died on the cross for our sins. And Everything that he did was talked about before he ever even walked the earth. And one of those things that was talked about before he ever came on this earth was his betrayal and how he would be handed over to be crucified by somebody who would be close to him who would betray him. And that person's name is Judas. And so if we go to John chapter 13, I'm just going to read it like story time. Because uh, so, it's, it's kind of a few verses. So if you want to just sit back, relax. We'll get into like a brief story time, and we'll go over the, the story uh, from Judas. All right, so John chapter 13, verses 18. Oh, real quick preface to the story time. So it's the Last Supper. Have you guys ever seen that old, old painting of Jesus at a long table with 12 other dudes? Yeah, so that's the Last Supper. So this is the last meal that Jesus has before 
he's arrested and then crucified. And he has this, like, final meal with his disciples. And it's at this meal where, like, Judas is, like, revealed, basically. And so Jesus is at the last supper, the last meal that he has before he's handed over to be crucified. And this is Jesus talking at the last supper. I'm not referring to all of you, Jesus said. I know those who I've chosen. But this is to fulfill that passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I have said I am. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at each other at a loss to know which one of them he meant. Uh, One of the the, uh, disciples motioned over to Jesus to ask him which one he means. Leaning back, he asked Jesus, Lord, who is it that you mean? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Um, As soon as Judas had taken the piece of bread, he went out and it was night. And at this point in the story, when Jesus reveals Judas to be the betrayer, the disciples are really confused, and they don't understand what Jesus is saying or why they're saying that Judas is going to betray him. And at this point, Judas had already um, betrayed uh, Jesus, and he basically like, gives up Jesus' location in exchange for money. And he essentially betrays the person who eventually goes on to die on the cross for our sins. How many of you, don't raise your hand because I guess it's like a personal question, but how many of you have ever been betrayed before? Or how many of you have ever been betrayed by somebody like Jesus in this story, like somebody like close to you, like a close friend or a family member? Betrayal is something that I'm very familiar with. I'll get into one or two stories in regards to this in a moment. So my second job ever, I worked at Azumi's, which, yes, I didn't know like a whole lot about skate culture at that time. Support your local. I, I, resigned, I resigned from Zoomies after I like, found out all that stuff. So yeah, shop at Overcast or Activist, stuff like that. But um, while I was working there, this was the second busiest Zoomies in the world. So it was constantly busy, constantly. Boards are always being set up. Dressing room is always full. Register always has a line, and there's lines everywhere. There's theft every day and like, all this different stuff. Like, it's, like, cra- it was like, super crazy and super, super busy. And so I was being trained to like, work the dressing rooms like my, like my second day there. And, uh, like, just, like, how to get the line moving and, like, unlock the doors with the different keys and different stuff. And so I was trained that if somebody needs a different size garment, like a different size pair of jeans or, like, a different size shirt, you just put it over the door for them. And you're like, oh, like, here's, like, the size 32 or jeans or the size extra large shirt and, like, that same shirt that you wanted and all this different stuff. And I'm really trying to make a good impression on, like, my managers who are watching me and stuff like that. And so, like, a week like, a, definitely less than two weeks into working there. Um, uh, like, the manager that day while I was working, she tells me, oh, the lady in dressing room two needs this rip curl bikini in, like, a different size. And I was like, okay, I'll go to the bikini counter and find a different one. So I go, and I can't find it, like, the rip curl one, but I find, like, a billabong one and, like, a Quicksilver one in, like, similar colorways and, like, the one that she wanted in, like, a different size. And I want to, like, impress, like, my bosses. So I'm trying to, like, get this sale. So I go and I'm, like, tr- I'm trying to find some that are, like, similar and, like, close in size and different stuff like that. But I can't find the exact one, so I go back to dressing room two. And, like, to put it over the door, like, I just, like, 
I had like three in each hand, and I just put them over the door. And I was like, oh, pardon me, like I couldn't like find like the Billabong one that you wanted, but I had like this Roxy one in this size and Quicksilver, and 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 this colorway, and I got like your Billabong one in this size. And I for like 30 seconds, definitely like less than a minute, probably I'm trying to like make this sale and like impress my like bosses and stuff like that. And a little bit into <laughs> giving this sale, the door swings open. And the biggest Samoan man I've ever seen in my whole life is standing in the doorway staring at me. And I'm, like, I, like this dude is like, have you ever seen Moana? Like you, like, you know Maui? He's like two Maui stacked on top of each other. And I'm standing at the doorway like this with, like, these, like, bikinis right in front of him. And this dude is like the rock but with nice hair. And he, he, he was the most intimidated, the most scared I've ever been in my whole life. I thought I was going to be eaten alive. And he, I'm like a tall guy, but I'm looking at him like this, and he's looking down at me like this. And I start like stuttering and apologizing. Like, I'm so sorry. And this man, he, the door is like this wide, and he's wider than the, he takes up the whole door frame. And he has to like go sideways to come out and like look at me. And I hear laughing behind me, and I turn around, and my coworkers are dying laughing. And it turned out that this whole ordeal had been orchestrated from the start. And I've been, I, yes, I've been set up to fail. I was truly betrayed. Yes. And, but the guy ended up being really wholesome. Like, he was, like, this, like, Hawaiian dude. He was like, oh, no, it's cool, it's cool. And, you know, being, like, a real gentleman about it. I kind of wish, actually, I became friends with him. That would have been a cool, like, origin story, I guess, to, like, our friendship and stuff. But, yeah, I'm just, I'm just glad I survived to tell, to tell the story to this day. There was another time I was, like, betrayed similarly here at Bridge Youth, actually. Yes, I know, right? I thought we were in church. And uh, it was Halloween hype night in 2019. And so... There's, like, a lot of people, and it's, like, if you've never been to one, it's kind of like a Halloween party the whole night. And at the end of the service, we're doing, like, one of the hype songs, and everybody's like, one more song. And so I think they do, like, This Is Living. And I go on stage. I'm dressed like Tyler, the creator, and I'm just trying to, like, I'm just trying to, like, get the, you kids, like, hyped up. I'm just running around, jumping around stage. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just, like, trying to get everybody to jump. And I was dressed like uh, Igor era, Tyler Creator, so I had that wig on. And I ripped my wig off, and I throw it into the crowd, and I'm jumping around and all this different stuff. And I look, I'm, I'm, like, right there, and I look down in front of me, and I see my boy Isaiah go, like, we don't talk, but he goes like this, and he, like, motions me to, like, to, to crowd surf. And I was, like, I was like, you want me to crowd surf? And he's like, yeah, I got you, and all this different stuff. And we just, like, telepathize a whole conversation. And I'm like, okay. And so I, I back up. And I run forward, and I don't, I don't jump, but he sees me commit to the jump. And the moment that, like, I haven't left the ground yet, but the moment that my momentum is not going to stop me, I see Isaiah go from this to this. And, and, he just, and he just ducks behind some people. And I, before I know my momentum has already thrown me off the stage, so I'm in the air like this. And as soon as Isaiah ducks, I see, like, three or four middle school girls standing behind him. And I, I, do, I do everything I can, right? Everything I can to stop. But, but I'm, gravity is doing its job. And, I, and I'm on my way to just people elbow these, like, fourth, these, like, sixth and seventh grade girls that were standing right behind Isaiah the whole time. And, um, yeah, I ended up crushing them. And, and the, it, at that time, we were doing, like, the, the, like, campuses and stuff. So I saw them the next day at Bella Vista. And I was like, yo, I'm so sorry. And I had to, like, give, like, an elaborate story. Actually, I think uh, Sydney Pritchard, I think Sydney was one of them. Yes, it was, like, Sydney and, like, two or three of her friends. Yeah, sorry, Sydney, once again. I'm just, 
I'm just glad that they're still going to bridge you, to be honest with you. Because, yes, because <laughs> I legitimately uh, crushed them that day. Yes, shout out to my boy Isaiah, one of my closest friends for sure. And uh, we, uh, so, yes, as you can see, betrayal is near and dear to my heart. I know it well. But uh, <laughs> uh, Judas, uh, the betrayal of Jesus, he was completely consumed by what we read about in that first verse in regards to the three verses that we read today. Um, Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And he was consumed by earthly glory and he was totally absorbed with this false idea about who we thought the Messiah would be. Because even after Jesus reveals to uh, the disciples, I'm the prophesied Messiah, I'm the one that God has sent to save the world from their sins and to reconcile uh, us all back to him and all this different stuff and to establish his kingdom on earth, Judas had these assumptions made in his head about like the Messiah who would establish God's kingdom on earth. And what his ideal was somebody who would glorify himself by becoming like, like a literal physical ruler of the earth, like a, like a king who you'd be familiar with at that time, who like rules the earth with like authority and power. And Jesus did all those things, but he didn't have the hindsight to realize that Jesus was going to glorify himself by humbling himself on the cross. And he was going to um, uh, uh, be a suffering servant who humbled himself and got on his hands and knees and washed people's feet and died on the cross for his sins. And uh, he, was, he, he didn't realize that he was going to call his disciples and his followers to do the same thing and to, to take up their cross daily and to be born again and to die to their old selves. Um, and he didn't realize that this Messiah that would come would be the suffering servant. He thought it'd be this tyrant king, and he wanted to be at Jesus's right hand when he establishes the God's kingdom on on this earth. And he, um, his investment was totally thrown into glory here on earth rather than glory in heaven. And treasures in a place where, as the word says, eventually would rot and decay. And we can look at the world now and like look at the what God has done uh, post Jesus and. He has accomplished doing all those things, just not in the way that, we, that they had the ability to recognize um, when Jesus was saying that he was going to be the person who glorifies himself by suffering and dying for us. And you can be confused at that time, but now we can look um, almost 2,000 years later and see how tactful Jesus was and God was in reconciling us back to him and winning over our hearts and our affection. Um, but Judas didn't have a, the ability to, to realize that the Messiah was a suffering servant, and he ends up betraying Jesus with his inability to want to delay gratification and receive later glory. Um, and so the last, or the second point that we're talking about, being close to Jesus in proximity does not always equate to closeness as a, at heart. Because uh, Judas, like, you, like Judas was one of the 12, he walked with Jesus in his ministry. He saw Jesus preach and navigate conversations with the Pharisees. He saw him heal people and restore sight to the blind um, and do all these amazing, incredible stuff and perform miracles and forgive people's sins. Judas was close to Jesus. He was standing next to Jesus. He was standing with the other 12, and he saw Jesus do all this incredible stuff. But um, he ends up betraying Jesus for just like, I think it was 30 shekels of silver. Um, And Judas was the king of pretending. Um, 
and truly a perfect example of somebody who mastered putting on this illusion. I feel like the scariest thing about Judas was when Jesus says, like, there's, like, one of you 12 is going to betray me, and there's, like, a betrayer amongst us and all this different stuff. It's not amongst us. Oh, that's Among Us language right there. Oh, my gosh. I just did Among Us call-outs on accident in my message. Oh, gosh. I repent. (laughs) But, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so strange. I suppose that's, like... Like Jesus says, yes, there is, a, there is an imposter among us, if you want to think of it that way. I'm rolling my eyes in my head, but yes, if you want, if you want, to, if you want to think of it that way, yes, there is truly an imposter among us, is what, is what, is what Jesus says at the, is at the final supper. And um, the crazy thing is it's not, it wasn't a, like immediately obvious to anybody else who that betrayer was going to be. Jesus says, oh, there's like a betrayer amongst one of you 12. And it's not like everybody's like, oh, it's Judas. Like he's definitely talking about Judas, right? Like Judas is going to be the one that betrays Jesus. Judas, um, even though it was blatantly told that one of them was going to betray, he w- was so good at hiding himself and blending in and memorizing what to do and what to say and how to navigate life to where he was able to go um, by fooling everybody to think that he was close to Jesus at heart, but really he was only close to Jesus in proximity. And he mastered, you know, like the Christian syntax. And he knew how to walk around and when to bow his head and when to raise his head up again and what to say when asked certain questions and um, how to navigate going about being unnoticed. Um, and he had gotten so good at hiding himself and blending in and memorizing what to do and what to say to where nobody was able to notice um, that he was somebody who was living for what verse 19 says. And he was close to Jesus in proximity, but wasn't close to Jesus in heart. And uh, the last point that I want to focus on is treasures in heaven for point three. And maybe there's somebody in this room who's kind of memorized doing things like that. You know, like you, like you come every Wednesday, and you're close to Jesus in proximity. Like you come every Wednesday, and you... Um, know like what part of the song to raise your hands during and what part of the song to put your hands down during and how to go about unnoticed and where people wouldn't like question you or address anything and you know like what part of the song to jump during and oh other people like he said something that people are clapping towards I'm going to like write down notes and like all this different stuff but the truth is that even though you're close to God in proximity you don't feel like you're close to God at heart and you've just memorized putting on the illusion and how to navigate and bob and weave through Christian life and you've just memorized the syntax and the body language um, but the truth is that even though you're close to Jesus in proximity and you come every Wednesday, you haven't really begun a relationship with God. Um, Judas uh, was like the master of this illusion. And that whole like body language Christian syntax thing, he was like a complete illusionist with it. And I want to challenge us to be self-reflective and look at ourselves and see if we're doing that to this day. And if we're close to Jesus in proximity, even here every week, but we don't authentically or truly know Jesus or haven't began a relationship with Jesus ourselves. Um, there's one more character study as we get into this last point for treasures in heaven for one more person that was at that supper. And I think somebody who emulates what verse 20 focuses on, storing up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And his name was Peter. Recently at a Bible study uh, we were doing, I was talking about how Peter is my favorite disciple because he's really... Uh, spontaneous and gets very impassioned and he just makes these quick-witted, impulsive decisions. 
um, sometimes without fully rationalizing what it is that he's doing. And basically at this Last Supper, when he says, when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, he says, I'll never betray you, Jesus. I'll be with, I'll be with you like to the very end and I will never betray you. I'll never deny you. I'll be with you like till death, Jesus. And he doesn't realize the death that Jesus is about to have to endure to save us. And so Jesus tries to, like, calm him down and to, like, help him realize what it is that he's saying. And so another quick story time when we go back to uh, the Last Supper after Judas has already left. Next we have Jesus' conversation with Peter. And if the band is ready, you guys can go ahead and head up. I've never said that before. That was pretty cool. (laughs) So Luke 22, Peter is, like, impassioned and he's responding to Jesus. I'll never betray you. I'll never leave you and all this different stuff. He's, like, trying to be Jesus' ride or die. And in Luke, in Luke 22, verse 31, Peter's other name was Simon, and his full name was Simon Peter. So Jesus refers to him as Simon. And he tries to call him down, and he's like, Simon, Simon, you don't understand. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail, and that even when you've turned your back on me, that you'll come back and strengthen your brothers. But then Peter replies, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answers, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And so right after this, they go to Gethsemane. Jesus is praying. Judas portrays him. Jesus gets arrested. He's getting, like, beaten and put in shackles and all this different stuff. And he's being questioned in front of the Pharisees who are asking him, are you really the son of God as you claim to be? And he says, yeah, I am. They're like, blasphemy, blasphemy. And they're trying to, like, take Jesus over to be crucified. And Peter's following him the whole time. And I can imagine it's fear that struck Peter and, like, the crowd around him. Because people start to question Peter. They're like, aren't you, like, one of the disciples of this man who are, like, are about to crucify? And he's like, no, no, like, I'm not him. You got the wrong guy. All this different stuff. And two more times this happened. And the Bible says that he curses these people out, you know. And they, they're like, you're, like, one of, like, the disciples. Like, I saw you with them. Like, and I'm sure it was, like, the fear of, like, the mob and, like, the crowd at that time. But he's like, no, no, like, that's not me. That's not me. The same person who was not that long ago, earlier that night in, like, the Last Supper, saying he'll never leave Jesus, denies him three times. And then at the end uh, of Luke, um, after uh, uh, Peter denies him, it says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered what the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crossed it. He me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. And I can't imagine what it must have been like to be a disciple, to see Jesus crucified and then resurrect, and to see the fulfillment of all these things must have been really overwhelming. And then he goes on to say that, like, salvation for sinners is available through me, and I'm the narrow gate, and it's through me that people can find relationship with Christ. In spite of who they are, they'll find forgiveness, forgiveness that they don't deserve and all this amazing stuff. And all the disciples go on to have incredible ministry careers, Peter, the same person who denies Jesus right after saying he'll never deny Jesus. Um, I wanted to read it, but we don't really have time. But at the end of Luke, or at the end of the book of John, um, Jesus commissions him to be this really, really important person in like the early church and spreading the gospel and letting the world know that salvation is available to everybody, no matter how good or bad you are. Grace is sufficient and all this different stuff. And Peter goes on to be this really zealous, like super passionate early church founder. Um, And the Romans are trying to stop the spread of Christianity when it's starting. And so Peter's captured. And they elect to crucify Peter. And Peter is about to be crucified a few decades after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And 
he says he's not worthy to be crucified the same way that a savior was crucified. And so he has himself crucified upside down. And that's the death that Peter ends up having. And he ends up being known as St. Peter. And all the other disciples go on to be like these really impassioned like church leaders as well and suffer like similar fates. But all of them, um, except for Judas, Judas, the betrayer of Jesus. And if you don't know the story of Judas, Judas basically ends up going on to take his own life. And um, I know it kind of delves into like a really heavy subject when we start to cover Judas, but I don't want to shy away from addressing something that I think could be beneficial for us to hear. Um, it's all speculation, but it's hard not to wonder, like, what could have, like, been of, like, Judas's like, ministry career if he, like, were able to endure um, I've heard, like, Corey just, like, it's just, like, speculation, but, like, could there be, like, a gospel of Judas? Could he have, like, penned down the ministry of Jesus in a way that we can read today? Or could he have been, like, an early church founder, like the rest of the disciples, and done all this incredible stuff? I'm certain that there's something amazing that God wants to accomplish with every single person in this room. And I hate to bring my mind to the place of wondering how sad it would be if that opportunity for God to glorify himself through you was cut short. But I just want to entertain the worst as we conclude this message and get into like the topic of Judas and Peter and their, what ends up happening with their lives after Jesus' crucifixion. And um, yeah, I just want to entertain the worst, which is that there's a devil who does not want a single one of us to accomplish everything it is that God wants to accomplish through our lives. And um, up at camp, I was talking about like in this like brief like sermon lab that I was like doing about how all of us are a one out of one and we have the unrepeatable privilege of being ourselves and that will never be repeated again. And God only has one chance to use your life in some sovereign way that he wants to glorify himself through you and he'll never have that chance again. And um, there's this one opportunity he has to see the unveiling and the revealing of this like facet and this character in you. And the devil wants to do everything that he can to prevent that from happening. Because he knows that if he does, then there'll never be another you that ever exists. And God only has one chance in this brief window while we're here on this earth to glorify himself sovereignly through your life. And you have the unrepeatable privilege of being yourself, and God will never have that opportunity again. And Satan wants to do everything he can to prevent that from happening by delaying us and removing us from this earth early and causing us to be warped in our decision-making and hyped up on things that are decaying and, and diminishing rather than things that are eternal. Um, but you have the unrepeatable privilege of being you. And I hate to think of the idea of us not being able to see all of you guys become everything that it is that God wants to see every single one of you guys become. Because we'll never have that opportunity again. There's only one me that will ever exist. There's never been another me before, and there'll never be another me after. And in this window of time while I'm on the earth, um, God has the unrepeatable privilege of using me to glorify himself through some unique way. And that's the case with everybody in this room. And like I said, I want to entertain the worst. And the worst possible scenario, I suppose, is that Satan wants to sift all of us as wheat. And he wants to bring an end to everything that it is that God wants to do through every single one of our lives. And while I look at the stories and compare and contrast Peter and Judas and I look at like their priorities in life in regards to Luke 22 or in regards to Matthew 6 I mean and um, I'm, I'm 
so hyper-focused on this prayer that Jesus prays or that he says that he prays for Peter after Judas like already left the supper and he says that like like Peter like you don't understand like Satan has asked to sift you like wheat but I'm praying for you that even like when you turn your back on me that you'll come back and you'll strengthen the other people that are here and Peter goes on to do so many amazing things and so like not delving into it more than what I'm aware of in each one of your lives specifically because the fact of the matter is I don't know what homes most of you guys go to when you get picked up from here I don't know what you're dealing with in most of your guys' lives or your stories or your testimonies or what goes on in your mind when you go to bed at night or when you wake up in the morning Um, but suicide is a very very serious topic to start to get into and um, I hate to entertain the idea that we won't be able to see God glorify himself through the one out of one you that will exist and never be repeated again and will never see you walk this earth again and I want to see every single person in this room go on to do everything that it is that God wants to use your life to bring glory to his name through and so I want to pray um, for us everybody who calls Bridget home and everybody in this room that God gives us the courage and the faith and the strength to endure. Um, This is verse in Matthew 24, 13 that says, Endure to the end and you will be saved. And ironically enough with that verse, my endurance is absolutely trash, you know? I did cross country one year in eighth grade and I vowed to never run again. It was horrible. And it's pretty ironic because I'm Kenyan. I don't know if you guys know or like watch the Olympics. If you watch the Olympics, it's like first, second, third, fourth place are all Kenyan. And they're all even like built like me. What a waste of like perfectly good genes, right? And I did like cross country was like literally torture, man. Like, I don't know. My dad is very, very, very good at long distance running. Uh, I got this like village build, right? Like I got like the village boy build from Kenya, but I'm, I, I'm not running anywhere other than the fridge. So um, uh, uh, God tries to instruct us later on in Matthew. We read from Matthew 6 today in Matthew 24. Uh, it says, endure to the end and you'll be saved. And I want to pray that God gives us the endurance uh, to go through the different seasons that we experience in our lives. Um, whatever like your life looks like, like when you go home tonight, when you get picked up, or when school starts, or uh, when we come down the mountain from camp, or whatever it may be, I'm going to pray that uh, uh, that we get to see us become everything that it is that God wants us to see us become and do. Um, and in this unrepeatable privilege, that God will glorify himself through every single one of our lives sovereignly. Um, and so, entertaining the worst, which is that Satan doesn't want to see any of that happen, I just want to pray for us real quick, Bridget. So, if we want to bow our heads and close our eyes real fast. Father God, I pray that in this room that there are no abrupt endings to what it is that you want to accomplish in these lives. And I don't know, it's just speculation, but we can't help but think of what could have become of Judas's life if he had been able to carry out the full length of his ministry career. But so I just pray that as we are, even as we're sifted like we, God, that I pray that our faith will not fail and that you'll strengthen us and you'll give us the courage and the faith and the ability to endure and to see you glorify yourself through our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And 
we don't want to conclude the service without giving an opportunity for those who haven't began a relationship with Christ yet to, to do that. So just a really quick overview. Maybe you haven't like heard about like this God who uh, sent himself on the cross to die on the cross to save you from your sins, who offers forgiveness that cannot be earned and isn't deserved yet. He gives it freely. He uh, offers us so much mercy and grace and he's constantly withholding from us what it is our actions do deserve and giving us forgiveness and grace which we can never deserve or earn and uh, the message that I'm preaching or like doing at camp like the small lab I was talking about how when I leave this earth I'm going to spend eternity in the presence of God and that's not because of anything that I could have done to earn it but it's because of the grace of God and how could it be that he you know softened my heart and remove the scales from my eyes and allow me to see and savor Jesus Christ like how can that possibly be and this life that couldn't deserve saving now that he saved it how could it be anything other than entirely surrendered to this God who who's ravished our hearts so uh, the, the beautiful thing about this forgiveness that God offers is it, it it doesn't necessarily have to be earned or deserved but God gives it freely to anybody who comes with a contrite and genuine heart saying God I believe in what it is that you did through your son Jesus Christ on the cross for me um, and a desire to receive this forgiveness that it is that you offer. And so we're just going to bow our heads and close our eyes one more time and all pray together. And just to reflect outwardly what's happening inside our heart right now, if you do want to give your life to Christ for the first time, uh, with every head bowed and every eye closed, um, when I get to three, we're going to ask for you guys to raise your hand if you'd like to Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior for the first time. Uh, one, two, three. Awesome, awesome. All right, Bridge Youth, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're all just going to pray this prayer together. And in support with those who are going to be giving their life to Christ for the first time. So uh, everybody go ahead and repeat after me. Thank you, God for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for giving me revelation of the gospel. And thank you for giving me forgiveness, which my actions can never earn or deserve. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, can we give a quick hand clap for those who accepted Jesus Christ for the first time? Amen. So um, it, was a, it was a heavier topic that we ended up going towards with that Matthew 6 scripture. And if you accepted Christ for the first time or if there's anything that you want to talk to anybody about, I want to encourage you to go find a leader after service, um, to find Pastor Amber, to find Corey and to just borrow their ear for a little bit and tell them a little bit about what God did in your heart today and what it is that he told you. And uh, as we worship uh, for this final song, we can all stand up and head to the front right now real fast. And uh, yeah, let's just worship this God who gives us a tremendous amount of grace and mercy.